Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I am a writer and an entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've wondered what makes life meaningful and what makes work worth doing. In my day job, I help schools and universities, entrepreneurs and leaders learn how to market and grow their reach. You can learn more about my company, Your People, at yourppl.com. I also am a writing coach, and I teach my signature Find Your Voice Writers Workshop, through writingworkshops.com and at makemeaning.org. I help people, organizations, and movements find their voice and gain the confidence to use it. Because everything we do means something. Why waste your moments? You are needed. You can make the world better. And by caring about the people you encounter and the tasks you take on, you get closer every day to finding your unique meaning and living life with purpose. This podcast focuses on all the many ways people make meaning in the mundane. You'll hear stories of courageous people daring to imagine a life they love. If you like what you hear, give us a review on any of the podcast platforms you find this show. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Make Meaning Podcast. This week, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Stephanie Steinberg, who's the founder and CEO of the Detroit Writing Room. That's an event and writing space in downtown Detroit that offers professional writing coaches. Stephanie is also the executive director of the nonprofit Coaching Detroit Forward, which offers free writing and photography programs for Detroit high school students. Stephanie has been a journalist for over a decade and was previously the managing editor of Scene Magazine. She also served as a features reporter at the Detroit News and a health and finance editor at U.S. News and World Report in Washington, D.C., A University of Michigan alum, just like me, Stephanie majored in communication studies and was the editor-in-chief of the Michigan Daily Student Newspaper, which I also was a reporter for many years before Stephanie. Stephanie Steinberg is the editor of the book In the Name of Editorial Freedom, 125 Years at the Michigan Daily, which was published by the University of Michigan Press in 2015. Throughout her career, she's contributed to various publications, including the New York Times, the Boston Globe, USA Today, CNN.com, The Huffington Post, and many more. I'm thrilled to welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast, Stephanie Steinberg. Stephanie Steinberg, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Lynn. Yeah, I'm so excited to speak with you um, because, you know, I'm just impressed by all that you've done, especially your journalistic career, your entrepreneurial endeavors. I don't know if you know, this was many, many years before you, but I was on the staff of the Michigan Daily. And I also knew from a young age that I wanted to write professionally. Um, So tell me, when did you first know that you were a writer? Well, um, first off, that's awesome. You were on the daily staff. <laughs> go blue. Yay, go um, blue. <laughs> I I'm unusual in that I knew from a pretty young age what I wanted to do. Basically in second grade, I knew I wanted to be a journalist. Wow. Um, I was on this local kids TV show called Kids Stuff. It's no longer around, but mm-hmm. basically I would go interview people like zookeepers at the Detroit Zoo or give book club, book reviews at Borders. Um, and it was like this very hyper-local show. So uh-huh. I kind of fell in love with storytelling then, but went the writing career, not necessarily broadcast journalism. That is really funny because um, like I said, I'm way older than you. And I also was on a kid's TV show in the early 80s. It was called Kids World. 
And I, um, and it's funny because I never wanted to go into broadcast either, but I was really into gymnastics and I interviewed Barry Musbeck, who was an up and coming gymnast. And they had their eye on her for the 1984 Olympics, which I don't think she ended up making it to, but I, I got to work with the film crew and I was like in my red, white, and blue leotard interviewing her with my pigtails. And so it's so funny. It's like parallel worlds. I feel like I was in, um, third, fourth grade, something like that. So what a funny, what a funny coincidence. Wow. Small world. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's so funny. So when you were editor in chief at the daily, you led the production of the daily's first book, Michigan football, a history of the nation's winningest program. So tell me about the book, how it came to be and how it was received. Yeah, well, basically, um, this was before the Daily had digitized its archives. So before, this was 2010, 2011, 2012. Before that, all of our Daily stories were just in these hardbound volumes that they keep in the newsroom. And I thought there's so much rich content in these bound volumes that go back to 1890. You know, we should do something about it. And in particular, football is obviously very um, (laughs) well-received among University of Michigan alumni and the community. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could compile all of our football-related content into a book that Mm -hmm. became a coffee table book? And it spanned, you know, since the Daily started in 1890, essentially, to the present day. And we had a team of our sports writers, sports editors go through those archives and literally scan the pages. Oh my gosh, what a job. It wasn't digitized. (laughs) It took us a good like two years to put it all together. And I give all of the writers and editors who worked on that a lot of credit because I was mostly in charge of the overall production. um, You know, the nitty gritty stuff. But um, yeah, it turned into a beautiful football coffee table book and people can still get it today on the daily's website. Awesome. That's really great. And so then in 2015, you released a second book published by the university of Michigan press, and it was called in the name of editorial freedom, 125 years of the Michigan daily. So tell me a little bit about that book, how it came to be and how it was received. Yeah. Um, kind of similarly, I, I, thought about all these great connections with the Michigan Daily alumni and how many had such wonderful stories from their times working on the paper that they would tell us when they came into the newsroom to kind of like say hi sometimes on weekends, but they weren't necessarily written down or or shared in any professional way. And I thought, you know what, it'd be really cool to compile all of these great stories by journalists who now work at the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, ESPN, Mm -hmm. uh, CNN, and make it into a collection of stories that people could read. Um, so really it's a look back through a story in their, their eyes, their words, something they covered while a student on campus. Um, so there's a lot of history in there, like covering the Vietnam war protests, um, mm. covering presidential candidates when they came to Ann Arbor or Detroit. Mm. Of course there's football related stories in there mm-hmm. too. Um, so there's about 40 journalists who all contributed a story and I compiled them all and published it in the book. That's amazing. Congratulations. Those both sound like really rewarding and big projects. So 
kudos to you for that vision and, and really getting it done. I'm sure it took a lot of attention to detail to produce both of these books. It did. And the second book was when I was out of college. So I actually Uh did this, you know, after graduation and people were like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, even when you're not on the daily staff anymore, I'm like, yes, I do. I feel strongly about this, that these stories need to be written down and shared. So um, thank you for that. Yeah, that's very archival. So almost like a, an historian approach to to writing and sharing stories, just so we can make sure we have them. So tell me what you love most about writing, and and I'm assuming that you're continuing to write even as you're into other endeavors. Yeah, a little bit. I've been rather busy these days, and unfortunately, <laughs> don't have as much time to write as I would like to. But I I love storytelling and interviewing. That's my favorite part of journalism. Um, just getting to talk to people and people you never would have talked to otherwise. I've interviewed some pretty cool people over the years through various internships, and um, very grateful for those opportunities. And you learn a lot from the people you talk to, even if it doesn't make it into the story at the end of the day. So. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of that also helped formulate my own passion to start my own business, which I can get into later, but um, that came from a lot of interviews I did in Detroit with entrepreneurs in 2016, 2017. Well, you know, um, that's perfect timing because I was going to ask about the Detroit writing room next. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that journey, you know, so where, where did the idea come from? How did you pull it together? And and then, you know, and then we'll get into some of the details about how it's evolved over time, but tell me a little bit about how, where, where it started. Yeah, so I was a reporter at the Detroit News in 2016. Um, I had lived in D.C. a couple years before that and came back at that time to tell the stories of Detroiters and um, really was inspired by the entrepreneurs who I talked to, a lot of artists, um, people starting up their own businesses and people my age, too, which I thought was really impressive. Um, And so in the course of the year or two, I basically thought of this concept of my own idea for a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became the Detroit Writing Room. And basically, it is a physical space in downtown Detroit where people could come work and write. Um, pre-pandemic, people were pretty much using the space almost every day. And we would host book talks because as an author, as you know, um, I couldn't find a spot in downtown Detroit to give a book talk when I wanted to talk about editorial freedom. And I thought there needed to be a spot where local or national authors could go to share their stories. So um, the writing room became that place. But also, while I was interviewing all these entrepreneurs, I was discovering there were a lot of needs. People would ask me like, hey, I need help with my content for my website. Do you know an editor for this or a social media manager who can help with my you know, social posts? Mm-hmm. Um, or they were applying to grants and needed help with applications. And I thought, what if there was a place people could go where they could get help from various coaches mm-hmm. who are experts in all these different things? And it'd be kind of like a one-stop shop for writing coaching. Mm-hmm. So I developed this concept of writing coaches Uh and pulled in a lot of journalists I knew from the Detroit News, the Free Press. We've got also graphic designers and photographers, uh, grant writers, podcasters, screenwriters. So kind of every little genre you might think Mm -hmm. a writer might need help with. Mm -hmm. Um, There's about 30 coaches here in Detroit Mm -hmm. and um, we offer coaching. So a lot of that is virtual these days because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic, but you can also sign up with a coach in person too. Very cool. And I I think um, one of the things I've admired about the Detroit writing room is how you've pulled together so many great people 
you know, there's just, um, it's really hard to launch something on your own, but when you have the support and encouragement and promotion of a lot of different people who have their own audiences, just Mm -hmm. together, you can do great things. So was that part of your vision that it was sort of this collaborative creation in a way? A little bit. I mean, it it definitely helps when you've got journalists with their own platforms and they can help share out book talks and workshops and promote it with you. But ultimately, I just wanted really good people to be coaches at the end of the day and people who knew their stuff. So that if a client, you know, working on a book and they're the first time offer, they don't know what they're doing. I want to make sure I had a coach who like definitely (laughs) knew what they were doing can help this person throughout the journey. Yeah. So who are some of the people that have been involved in the Detroit Writing Room and who've been really core to its success so far? Bill Vlasic, number one, he is the former Detroit bureau chief for the New York Times. Um, He is my personal mentor. And when I told him about my idea in like 2017, he was the first person who said, you've got to do it. And I want to be a part of it. So I was like, Okay. Awesome. <laughs> I've got That's a great. Coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's been really integral um, with everything that we do. And we've got a lot of amazing coaches. I can't name them all, but sure. um, like Anna Clark, she's a local journalist and author. And mm-hmm. she's um, taking on, we call it Writer Wednesday right now, where people mm-hmm. can come work on Wednesdays at the space. You'll see her about once a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura Berman is a former Detroit News columnist, and she's been pretty involved. She's also one of our Writer Wednesday coaches. Laura is uh, one of my good friends. I love her. So yeah, excellent. Yeah. Great. And then we've got a lot of coaches too that have crossed over to our nonprofit arm, Coaching mm-hmm. Detroit Forward, which I can talk about too, but they're also very involved with that. Awesome. Yeah. It's on the list. We're going to get there. I promise. <laughs> I have more writing room questions though, for sure. Um, so what were you hoping would be the outcome or the impact of the Detroit Writing Room? And then of course, you know, we'll talk about how the pandemic affected you and how you've weathered that, because I'm sure that was really throwing you for a loop. So tell me a little bit first about what you, what your vision was for the outcome or the impact of it. And then we can talk about how you've made it through the pandemic. Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, um, having a place for book talks was really important to me. And in the nine months that we were open before the pandemic, we did host a lot of big time authors and also first time authors. Our last event actually in person was in February. Um, it was like February 28th. It might've been the 29th. It was if it was leap year, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we had like a hundred people come out for this first time author, which was the most we've ever had for a book talk. And I was just wow. like, Oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is magical. This is what the space is supposed to be. So that was first, you know, my, my main vision. And then the coaching was the second vision. So we've helped a lot of people with their books and and getting them published. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of them are self-published authors, but some of them have been applying to traditional publishers and are waiting to hear back on query letters. So um, it's been really fun to be part of that journey with everybody from, you know, chapter one to, oh my gosh, my book is on the shelf now. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. Has there been any surprise impact that you've seen that you you couldn't have forecast, but you're so thrilled by? Um, our nonprofit arm. That was something I did not plan. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. let's go there. Let's talk about it. Tell me about De- uh, Coaching Detroit Forward. Yeah. So basically a couple months after we opened, I realized we have all these great coaches and 
I would really like students to be able to access them because they're amazing teachers and they could learn from the best. And in particular, I wanted Detroit high school students to be able to access them, but I didn't want them to pay for coaching or these workshops. So we basically started this nonprofit arm, Coaching Detroit Forward. And it's a way for us to get funding from foundations and donors. And that way, all of the programming is free for Detroit high school students. So we kicked it off with, um, it was actually (laughs) before the pandemic hit, we had our nonprofit status and I was applying to grants and got one from the Fisher Foundation, literally like five days before the state shut down in 2020. Oh, wow. um, And I know, Lynn, you were sort of part of the conversations I had, too. I was trying to get up and going. Yes. Um, So we ended up doing pretty much virtual programs in the summer of 2020, a photography camp and a journalism camp. Mm -hmm. And it worked out pretty well, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, everyone was making do and learning on Zoom. And with the photography camp, we did meet up with like two to three students at a time and took them on photo walks throughout Detroit. So we were safe outside. And then this last summer, we were able to host our journalism camp and the photography camp in person at the writing room. And um, that has been such a really impactful experience for the coaches and the students involved. Mm -hmm. Um, The students, part of the photography camp, we give them a professional Canon camera Mm -hmm. they get to use for two weeks and take it all around Detroit with them. They can take it home um, and they learn all about photography from the three kings and shutter speed and lighting and our head photography coach, Sacred Overstreet Amos, um, really like packs in everything into two weeks, which is Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. And then at the end, um, we compile all their photos and the stories from the journalism camp into a magazine called Perspectives. And um, just this week, actually, we are having a virtual launch party to celebrate the 2021 edition. Oh, congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm excited to celebrate with the students and the coaches and our donors. And, um, you know, obviously we'd rather do this in person, but we're just trying to keep it as safe as possible these days. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how the pandemic affected you and how you persevered through it. I know that must've been really hard because your whole concept was, um, dependent on being together in a space. So tell me a little bit about how you sort of pivoted and, and made it through. Well, in March 2020, when the state, you know, shut down or the first cases came to Michigan as a journalist, you know, I'm like reading up on the news like crazy. And I kind of felt like, okay, this is not going to be good. (laughs) So I very early on made the decision to figure out a virtual format. So Zoom, obviously, what everyone else uses Uh um, to be able to transition our coaching to Zoom, even our writing workshops and our book talks. um, We've done it all on Zoom since 2020 for the most part. A couple things in person with smaller people or smaller groups of people. But Uh thankfully with, you know, technology these days, we were able to transition pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And as a country adopted to it too, it, it was pretty easy to have people join in even from New York, California, Chicago. Um, that was like the beauty of it, where we got to meet people outside of Metro Detroit who never would have come otherwise. Sure. Sure. That's really great. Well, congratulations for figuring out a way to to make it through, because I think a lot of businesses had to sort of adopt new models and reinvent themselves. Um, during that time, it's interesting, you know, I, I lived in Washington, DC for a few years in the nineties 
And there was this amazing Bethesda Writer Center, which was a home for writing workshops and readings and all sorts of writerly activities, like a freestanding building where it, it, I just loved it. It was like a magnet, you know, and I loved the community that believed writing and words were important enough to be housed in a center with that dedicated focus, you know? Yeah. And so it seems like so much of this type of community now lives online. I don't know if it's just accelerated because of the pandemic. Um, but I mean, technology has allowed us to really, you know, take a writer's workshop that's hosted in Mexico city or in Seattle or whatever. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about the role of writing in today's global landscape? Do you think that this notion of gathering in, in a, in a shared space is, is something that might be a memory or do you think we'll somehow straddle the two at some point? Yeah. I mean, this is what I've been trying to figure out the past 18 months myself. (laughs) Um, You know, I think we unfortunately have lost people because of technology and they'd much rather hop on a Zoom session from the comfort of their living room. And that's okay. That's great. You're still reaching them, but we've lost the people who would come, you know, to our space downtown and have this like shared magical experience in the room. You know, when you're talking with someone in person, it's it's much different than on Zoom, you know, Mm -hmm. even picking up emotions and interactions. It's just a different experience. So I worry a little bit that that magical experience might have gone away or will take a lot longer longer to get back. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I'm grateful that we are able to like, connect with so many people in across the country and even the world that yeah. have, you know, found us. So I don't know, there's, there's perks and then there's detriments to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what do you see as on the horizon for you? You know, is there another book that you'd like to work on? Are you thinking you want to expand the Detroit writing room in some way? What What's ahead? Well, I mean, I always would like to write another book. I love working on books. I don't know exactly what it'll be yet, but um, maybe one day there'll be another one coming out. We'll see. Uh-huh. Um, we we did expand to the New York writing room last summer. So we mm-hmm. actually opened the first virtual chapter with a team of 10 coaches based in New York. Wow, um, that's great. Yeah. So they, they are coaching people virtually from across the country. They don't have to be, you know, a New York resident to sign up. So that's been fun to create a community based in New York when I'm not even there, but yeah, we're going to hopefully next summer, um, summer, 2020, 2022, uh, continue with our camps and do the photography camp again, and hopefully the journalism camp and you know, I'd like to grow those programs to reach more students. Just um, there, there were a lot of students who applied to the photography camp that we unfortunately had to turn away just because we had a limited number of cameras and capacity, but um, it'd be awesome to do a couple more sessions to be able to meet the need of anyone who wants to attend. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. There's still a lot of unknowns too, with this pandemic and the Delta variant. And it's just, you, you can't plan as easily as you used to be able to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Stephanie, as we close our conversation, I wonder if you have any words of wisdom that you might share with our listeners about you know, how they can find their purpose, use it to drive their work in life. Um, You know, what, what, what lessons or advice might you offer our listeners today? Yeah. I think if you have an idea and you feel so strongly about it, 
then you have to pursue it. You know, I, there's never going to be a perfect time to do it. You're never going to have enough money to do it. If if you're really passionate though, and it's something that you keep thinking about throughout the day, or you lie awake in bed at night thinking about your idea, whether it's a book idea or a business idea or a nonprofit you want to start, just do it. Just jump into it, get started because you know, you'll, years will go by before you're able to actually do it. And that's wasted time. So absolutely, <laughs> just jump into it. That's my advice. Love it. Love it. Well, Stephanie Steinberg, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun conversation. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.